first of all, sorry for the delay. <laughs> and so, well, I got caught in the rain. And so, the weather today will or is rather indicative of the topic of today's Dhamma talk. And uh, the weather today being the same all the time? <laughs> well, in this uh, regard, a famous uh, Greek philosopher has said, nothing endures but change. And uh, another saying is contributed to the same Greek philosopher, namely, one cannot step twice into the same rivers, for other waters keep you know, flowing or, or passing by. Now, the Greek philosopher who you know, made uh, these uh, two statements is none other than Heraclitus of Ephesus. And uh, Ephesus apparently was a town in... Uh, Asia Minor, part of the Greek uh, Empire, and uh, uh, which is uh, in today's uh, Turkey, which lies in today's uh, Turkey. And Heraclitus lived uh, from approximately 540 BC until 480 BC. And uh, he's known as uh, well, the weeping philosopher, because of his philosophy and also because he spent most of his life in a rather lonely manner. And what marks the philosophy of Heraclitus is certain for one thing, the belief that fire is one of the elementary forces in life, and the other one is that of change. And today's Dhamma talk will be just on this, namely change or impermanence. Now, when we meditate, then we come across all sorts of experiences, and one of them consists in directly perceiving the impermanence of formations. But not on an intellectual level, but rather in a very direct manner, through our uh, meditation uh, itself. And uh, the Buddha has said about uh, such kind of an contemplation that uh, centers around uh, impermanence that uh, one who develops the contemplation of impermanence abandons the wrongful uh, perception of uh, uh, permanence. So, Anicca Nupasana Mbabwento, 
nitya sanyam pajahati in Pali. Now, anichata means uh, the means impermanence in general, and it uh, refers to things such as change, such as becoming, such as growth, such as the arising of formations, the lasting, and then the disappearing of those certain same formations, or to express it differently, the genesis of a formation, then its decay, and finally, it's uh, death. And so formations keep you know, transforming all the time. They are in a state of flux. They never stay the same. And so this characteristic of impermanence governs or uh, is or, or all conditioned phenomena of the five aggregates can be said to be subject to this characteristic of impermanence. And by conditioned phenomena, we mean phenomena that are characterized by anicca, dukkha, and anatta, namely the three universal characteristics of impermanence, of unsatisfactoriness, and of non-self. Now, when discussing the topic of impermanence, it is certainly helpful to make a distinction between that which is, uh, or the thing that is impermanent, and the nature or the characteristic of uh, impermanence. So the thing that uh, is impermanent are the formations connected with the five uh, aggregates, and the characteristic of impermanence lies in the fact that certain formations are uh, not uh, permanent, but they, that they keep uh, changing all uh, the time, that they're undergoing a transformation. Uh, now, the weather uh, that we've witnessed uh, uh, just uh, within you know, the last uh, maybe you know, 12 uh, hours, 12, 14 uh, hours, is very much a manifestation or a good illustration for change. At times it was sunny today, at times it was overcast, and then we had some rain in the early afternoon, and now all of a sudden it rained again with some lightning and thunder. So, if one looks at you know, the weather you know, just uh, within the last 12 to 14 hours, one finds plenty of uh, you know, changes there. Now, change can be observed in the world around us, also um, in many other ways. 
So let us take uh, maybe uh, a rose and uh, a bud uh, forms and uh, at the end of a branch and uh, this then gradually um, blossoms and uh, brings forth uh, a flower uh, which uh, then um, opens up and uh, you know, sooner or later you know, then the you know, rose petals fall to the ground and uh, you know, then decom you know, wither and uh, decompose. And much change occurs within the life of a human being. So if you think of a human being you know, from the moment uh, that uh, he or she you know, lives as or you know, lives as a you know, fetus in you know, the uterus until the moment that you know, death occurs, and then plenty of changes uh, are you know, there. And changes that then comprise certain stages such as birth itself, and then graduate, first being a baby, and then from this developing into a child, and certainly from this developing into a young adult, and then into an adult, and then gradually. Um, as uh, you know, the years go by, you know, well, old age is setting in and it leaves its marks by way of uh, uh, one's decreasing eyesight and uh, uh, the wrinkles uh, you know, that start to form in the face and uh, you know, the teeth may be deteriorating to some extent and one's physical strength uh, is also overall you know, decreasing. And then, well, illness may be another important stage along or along the way, and everything ends with the occurrence of death. And this human body, just like a rose, in the end will decompose. Now, even though a change is occurring around us and within us all the time, it's actually very difficult to really deeply understand what is going on. And despite of the fact that we can uh, witness change around us uh, all the time, it still you know, doesn't you know, really leave any you know, deep impression on the mind. And uh, when a near or a dear you know, person passes away, so in other words, uh, becomes subject to the you know, law of uh, you know, impermanence, and then we still you know, suffer you know, the loss. And so, it is as if you know, this is something uh, or an event that is uh, out of the ordinary. Now, 
we may read books about impermanence and we may observe impermanence in the world around us, yet it may these activities may still not really bring about a change when it comes to the perception of formations as permanent. And a true understanding of impermanence only comes with the meditation practice itself. And a couple of years ago, I was conducting a retreat, a Vipassana meditation retreat in Italy at a certain meditation center. And it so happened that over one particular weekend, another group of psychologists was sharing the same facility they had booked into that place at an uh, earlier point of time. And it then further so happened that the topic of their weekend course was nothing other than impermanence. And how wonderful. I thought (laughs) this, this seems to be... Uh, just the right, uh, the right occasion, and uh, so the leader of that uh, group uh, was of the opinion that, uh, well, discussing impermanence uh, with uh, his uh, uh, other, uh, with his group of people there, uh, would be uh, would be quite enough, and so then, um, and then of. Of course, you know, the understanding is there that this is uh, not enough. And so, then fortunately, this group of uh, psychologists, um, well, you know, they came forward, you know, the nightly Dhamma talk, and the topic was impermanence. And, <laughs> and so I suppose they were somewhat disappointed, or must have been disappointed, to hear that a true understanding of impermanence can arise only through intensive meditation practice and not just by getting together for a weekend and discussing the topic of impermanence. And so so then when we meditate, what do you think, how, how many days do we have to meditate uh, on the average to, uh, well, get a glimpse of impermanence? Some time? Or a lifetime. Or oh, you're saying a lifetime even. Uh, well, no, it doesn't take that much, though. <laughs> Quickly. Uh, well, mm, within... Within maybe a week or slightly over a week, an intuitive understanding of impermanence may come up. So please, from from a practical point of view, um, even during the first few days of one's meditation retreat, one might think that one is having some understanding of impermanence. um, see certain uh, objects certain, uh, changing. However, this is not certain impermanence as certain yet. And impermanence, uh, the understanding of impermanence usually arises 
um, with the onset or with the, or, or with the occurrence of the third and insight and knowledge. And so, you know, there are three parts to this certain knowledge, and the first part you know, concerns itself uh, with impermanence. And it happens in a way you know, that a meditator is observing the same old certain formations as uh, you know, you know, ever, namely the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, pains and aches, and uh, you know, other bodily sensations plus uh, mental states. And then uh, one realizes that even within one single rising movement, within one single falling movement, you know, you know, things are changing, sensations are changing. And this you know, then is very different you know, from the way you know, one you know, used to you know, observe one's rising and falling at the beginning of you know, the retreat. And back then, the rising would be seen as simply just rising, and the falling would be seen as simply just uh, falling. At the most, the meditator would say, well, uh, you know, there was a little bit of tension in the rising, or, or you know, some expansion on the rising, on the obvious, and uh, you know, some you know, relaxation or contraction on you know, the uh, falling you know, movement. But not much more you know, than this. And when, when a meditator truly comes across certain impermanence in, as part of the third certain insight knowledge, then he or she will see it with regard to the rise and fall, but also with regard to other predominant objects such as maybe a pain or with regard to maybe the hearing process or with, in particular with regard to mental states. And so a change can be witnessed furthermore in the walking meditation and, and or the general activities. And so it is this direct you know, perception of impermanence that you know, then will substitute uh, the wrongful sorry, perception of formations as uh, permanent. And so, since the mind has had certain or has assumed you know, this habit of uh, perceiving events that in actuality are not permanent but rather transitory to be uh, you know, permanent and this for many you know, many years it will take a while it will take you know, many occasions of seeing impermanence you know, to truly well, abandon this wrongful perception of formations as permanent, as being permanent. And so in order to bring about this change, we need to undertake a path of training 
And so this path of training then requires that we make use of mind of mental factors such as mindfulness, sati, and clear comprehension, sampajanya, and that we further then develop wisdom. And in order to develop such kind of insight, wisdom, or intuitive wisdom, we need to, well, first of all, get established in virtue, or as Visuddhimaga says, on virtue, and then on top of this, we need to practice the restraint of the senses, and so when the hindrances, the five hindrances, arise in our meditation practice, then we need to overcome those with the help of concentration. So with the help of concentration, these hindrances will be suppressed. And once this much has been achieved, then very soon the first insight into the uh, well, distinction between mental and material phenomena uh, will occur. And so then with further meditation practice, a meditator uh, will understand that the physical as well as uh, mental formations are connected by cause and effect. And so, so as we've seen during uh, the previous Dhamma talk, uh, they are connected not in a um, costless way or by some uh, well fictitious uh, uh, supreme uh, being, but rather you know, through uh, certain causes and uh, conditions. And so it is only upon the arising of this particular understanding about causal links or causal relations among formations, that an understanding into impermanence becomes possible. So the understanding of impermanence doesn't arise out of the blue, but rather there are certain conditions that need to be met with prior or earlier on. And even before this knowledge of, um, of impermanence can arise, a meditator needs to you know, go through you know, a very three particular or two particular phases with regard to, to objects. Namely, at first, at the outset of one's meditation practice, a meditator needs to observe time and again the specific, you know, the specific qualities of uh, an object of observation. This uh, is known specific quality or specific characteristic of an object, and this in the Pali scriptural language is known as sabhava lakana. 
And remember, during the first certain few days of your retreat, you know, during the interviews, the instruction was given many times, please you know, observe you know, the, or try to observe the specific qualities you know, with regard to the rising, with regard to the fawning, or any other you know, predominant object. And so, so this then has to be you know, done for quite some time, actually you know, for uh, for all of the first and second and insight knowledge. And then the meditation enters into a different phase where formations uh, are seen under a different certain characteristic, namely that of uh, conditioned uh, characteristic. And by current and conditioned characteristic, we mean conditioned by having or possessing a beginning, a middle, and an end. So each formation uh, has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this in the Pali scriptural language is known as Sankata Lakana. And so it is then only during the next phase that a meditator then discovers what is known as Samanya Lakana, namely the universal characteristics of formations. And the first one among them is the characteristic as uh, of or characteristic of impermanence. Now, when we when we don't meditate or when we are during the, the beginning phases of our meditation practice, then a number of formations may appear to be you know, continuous. However, this is just an appearance and it's not truly the case. So normally, when one bends one's arm, then the perception is certain of a continuous movement. However, when we investigate the same bending process of the arm with the help of uh, acute and uh, very alert mindfulness, then we find that, in fact, it is, uh, well, what is happening? Yes, so momentary small movements. So what seems like one continuous bending movement of the arm in actuality consists of many, many tiny little um, bending movements, one bending movement after the other. And these together then are taken as uh, as an enter as one uh, movement, and the same thing 
can be said with regard to the rising and falling movement of the abdomen. At first, it seems like one you know, continuous movement. However, you know, based on uh, some you know, well careful observation of what is really happening with the rising and falling movement, one finds that it is segmented. Sometimes meditators you know, find uh, plenty of segments, at other times uh, an average number of segments, and at other times, uh, you know, well, you know, just a few you know, segments. And, and even those segments, the way they are occurring, you know, they may be you know, changing. And so the mind apparently has this tendency of simplifying uh, events and uh, taking as uh, one continuous uh, process what uh, in actuality uh, actually uh, consists of uh, many separate uh, uh, events. And the same thing can be said of consciousness itself. We think, and this thinking, this belief or perception is deeply rooted in the mind, and that consciousness is pretty continuous. And our notion of a, of a self or an ego very much attaches to this. And since consciousness is believed to be permanent, well, this is a perfect place to attach to. And it is only upon closer observation at a later point in the meditation practice that a meditator finds that consciousness is everything else then continues. And uh, continues and uh, permanent. And so a meditator thus uh, finds that actually what does occur is uh, just a series of moments of consciousness, one after another, arising, passing away, arising, passing away. And since this is happening at such great speed, the impression of continuity or permanence of you know, consciousness uh, arises. So upon close observation, we can then we then find that all conditioned phenomena are subject to impermanence, even the most solid or compact pain when we observe it carefully tends to break up, and then when we observe even more carefully, we might find that this pain is composed of many little pain parts or particles which may be seen as coming and or arising, lasting for a few moments and then disappearing.
the commentaries speak of uh, well you know, the uh, perception is uh, uh, or or speak of compactness and uh, this compactness can be of uh, you know, four kinds uh, compactness in Pali is known or is given as gana g h a n a and so, so there is compactness as continuity, there's compactness as mass, and uh, there's compactness as function, and compactness as uh, object. And uh, compactness as, uh, as continuity, we have uh, discussed that already. Compactness as mass it means that a certain object and it seems like a mass of hardness or mass of uh, maybe you know, some you know, pressure. And you know, then upon closer observation, we find it's not a mass, but uh, rather it's breaking up uh, into parts or you know, particles. And by compactness as a function is meant that a particular Insight after with some amount of practice, we learn to distinguish or discern the different insight knowledges, and then we know okay, this particular insight knowledge usually operates in such and such a way, another insight knowledge will operate in a different way, and thus the function that is being attributed to each insight knowledge seems like rather compact, rather solid, just one single function and that's it. However, uh, as indicated already in one of our previous Dhamma talks, there is a point in the meditation practice when this very compactness as a function falls apart and gets reversed and what we have there is utter chaos. And so, so you know, with this, you know, the compactness as function breaks up. And, and then by compactness as an object, is meant that an object, you know, such as a pain, may you know, seem rather compact upon first or you know, a first and superficial observation. However, when we deeply penetrate you know, this object, we might you find that all of a sudden it breaks up you know, into you know, a multitude of you know, tiny little you know, particles. So then it's kind of you know, like an explosion or you know, like fireworks. Now, this uh, intuitive understanding of uh, impermanence arises, as uh, mentioned uh, earlier on, only after meditator has uh, clearly discerned uh, you know, well mental from material phenomena, and only after he or she has further you know, discerned uh, the causal links between the you know, phenomena. And so, an additional point 
in uh, this context is uh, that a certain uh, understanding of uh, the uh, of the self you know, also needs to be uh, weakened. So the concept of uh, the existence of the self, this too, you know, needs to be you know, somewhat you know, weakened, and this usually happens well through the occurrence of the very first insight knowledge, but then also during you know, or through you know, the occurrence of the second you know, insight knowledge. And when one sees that uh, the formations are you know, merely linked uh, by cause and effect, uh, then uh, obviously you know, there is no you know, controlling entity, there's no self uh, in control of uh, you know, things. Now, when a meditator then clearly gains this understanding of impermanence, first of all, with regard to the rising and falling movement of the abdomen, but then gradually also with regard to other objects occurring at the six sense doors, then this marks an important first step. And so the understanding of impermanence you know, then in the course of uh, one's meditation needs to be deepened more and more. And it happens quite naturally. There's nothing you know, that you actually need to do here. There's no need to force in uh, any way. Now, as one's meditation goes on, a meditator will come across a series of... Uh, now, well, rather intriguing, mostly wholesome mental states known as the imperfections of insight. And when a meditator experiences mental states such as maybe a sense of joy and a sense of calmness or peacefulness, stillness of the mind, serenity, or even a sense of well happiness or contentment, then it seems that these states are rather permanent. And, so, and since these are very pleasant states, there is a tendency of the mind to get attached to you know, these certain states. And you know, this thing usually contributes to you know, them uh, lasting even longer. And so then uh, it seems as if the early understanding of the impermanence of formations now gets somewhat uh, uh, weakened again. So now we have you know, these wonderful mental states which seem to be going on and on and on and on. So just the contrary of uh, impermanence. Now, uh, one has to be very careful at this point uh, in one's meditation practice not to get attached to any of those you know, rather intriguing mental states and uh, simply to you know, revert uh, to ordinary you know, mindfulness, labeling and certain observing and knowing of uh, you know, what is uh, happening. And then, 
as one continues, one will see formations uh, arise, and the next moment uh, they will disappear. So the relatively quick or fast arising, passing away of formations uh, takes place. Now, when this happens, you know, impermanence becomes even clearer. And so, so when in the light of seeing formations you know, in, in, gen or in, in, in general, um, arising in the next moment, you know, they are gone. How can one you know, continue to believe in the permanence of uh, you know, formations? And the understanding of impermanence is said to come to a peak upon gaining the fifth insight knowledge, which is the knowledge of dissolution, during which meditators usually see formations mostly dissolving, one object after another. And this not just for a few hours, but sometimes certainly even or you know, for many, even for several you know, days uh, uh, on end. And when seeing you know, that most formations are you know, dissolving, and that you know, they're subject to, you know, to death, you know, to you know, ending, and then on the understanding of uh, impermanence becomes uh, even uh, more, even clearer and uh, more uh, obvious. Now, as a meditator goes on uh, practicing, he or she will uh, then um, continue to experience, uh, to experience impermanence uh, uh, in one way or another way. And so eventually, upon, eventually when the main, the controlling faculties and the enlightenment factors are well developed and also well balanced, and all the necessary conditions are present, then the mind, while observing a particular, you know, any kind of object, it doesn't, really doesn't matter which one, and then it uh, may fall on to the mode of impermanence. So one sees you know, a particular object in the light of impermanence, namely as uh, you know, quickly changing or as uh, uh, quickly arising and passing away and so on, and then with this and this then becomes one's gateway to liberation. So we mutti mukha in the Pali scriptural language. Vimokha is liberation and mukha is the door, the opening. And so by then using impermanence as one's mode, uh, one uh, gains uh, path knowledge and fruition knowledge, and both of these take uh, Nibbana as an object. So in other words, the contemplation of uh, impermanence, Anicca uh, Nupassana, may 
um, or, or covers a whole range of uh, experiences and uh, starting you know, from you know, the you know, third insight knowledge and possibly leading a meditator all the way you know, to the realization of uh, Nibbana. And as such, it's a very powerful uh, you know, contemplation. Now, earlier on, it uh, was, or maybe before you know, moving on, there's one more you know, point you know, to uh, make, namely, with regard to the first and the second insight knowledge, oftentimes you know, they get referred to as the Vipassana insight knowledges. But strictly speaking, they are not yet. And the reason for this is because the first and second insight knowledge truly does not yet understand you know, well, the universal characteristic of impermanence, nor any of uh, you know, the other you know, two. And so a true understanding of the you know, three universal characteristics comes only with the third insight knowledge. Hence, you know, from a strict certain point of view, the very first certain Vipassana insight knowledge is actually the third one. And so the other, the you know, first two are kind of preliminary you know, forms of uh, insight. Now, at the outset, it was said that the contemplation of uh, impermanence, anicca nupassana, you know, when developed, you know, abandons the perception, and we can add here wrongful you know, perception, as uh, permanent or you know, wrongful perception of permanence. And the way you know, this uh, happens is uh, by way of substitution of uh, opposites. So whenever a clear understanding of the impermanence of uh, a particular formation arises, and then this will substitute the wrongful perception of that same object you know, to be uh, permanent. And this is one way uh, of how abandoning of something of a particular you know, factor you know, takes uh, place. Now, in the context of uh, abandoning the wrongful perception of uh, permanence, we have to look at certain perception itself, or perversion of perception, then perversion of mind, citta vipalasa, and perversion of consciousness. And, and sorry, perversion of view is the last one. And so, not meditating, we will be under the perception, wrongful perception, that formations are you know, permanent. 
And even if we see you know, some change in, in the external world, you know, this understanding is uh, only of a rather uh, superficial uh, nature. Now, if this perception of permanence goes unchanged, not just for a few days, but for years, then you can assume that it will become, or that it will be quite strong. And since there's no opposing force to correct it. Now, as this wrongful perception of formations as permanent, it has accumulated a tremendous force over, over the years, it will have an influence on you know, the mind itself or consciousness itself. And, as a res- and this then leads to a perversion or distortion of consciousness or mind. And thus the impression arises you know, that you know, consciousness is uh, also permanent. And so, uh, when this distortion becomes accepted truth, then it is obvious that a third kind of perversion will take place, namely perversion of views. And one then considers formations to be permanent. And this amounts to a wrong view. And so since uh, these three distortions or uh, perversions of perception as the first one, and then of uh, consciousness or of mind, and then finally of uh, wrong view has been going on already for many, 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 many years, well, the force of those three will be very strong. And it does take plenty of practice to reverse this process. However, if we keep observing formations again and again, and naturally we see them as impermanent rather than permanent, then gradually this will bring about a change. And what this means then is that it will lead to a different perception of formations, namely as impermanent. Now, with this happens, or with this comes a correction of our perception of formations. And as we keep then perceiving formations as impermanent, this will have an influence on the mind itself or consciousness, and this this will then correct uh, um, one's uh, um, uh, mind or consciousness, and uh, this in turn will rectify the uh, wrongful uh, or perversion of uh, views. And thus, a right view will arise in the form of uh, understanding that formations are uh, impermanent. And 
So when it comes to you know, the question what gets abandoned, you know, through you know, the contemplation of uh, impermanence, the answer you know, would turn to this you know, would be well the wrongful you know, perception as uh, of or of uh, permanence. And once a meditator has certainly seen the transitory nature of formations over and over again, has seen how objects arise, last for a while, or change, and then disappear, or how formations arise the next moment they're gone, or sees how formations dissolve and suddenly keep um, or are in a constant state of flux, then um, then when a tragic event takes place, like the loss of some near or dear one, then at least one will be somewhat prepared for this, and one will deep down in one's heart and mind understand that well, this is just part of life. It is one of the universal characteristics of formations, and there's no way to escape this, except through the attainment of Nibbana. Now, let me conclude today's Dhamma talk by wishing. May you gain in your own meditation practice a clear, based on having proceeded, progressed through the earlier insight knowledges, may you gain a very clear and intuitive understanding of impermanence and may this understanding then together with other forms of understanding of the other two universal characteristics lead you on and then eventually may this contemplation of impermanence lead you to the attainment of Nibbana in this very life. And this is it for today. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.